0: Digital 410 proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your hosts, Don Abernathy, Jeff Kopsetta, and Henry Sledge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. And happy Halloween, kind of early, for those of you who live in states that actually celebrate Halloween on Halloween. Always found it was a little weird. I lived in neighborhoods that always celebrated on the closest weekend, before or after depending on how the the days worked out which wasn't as fun to actually have halloween on real halloween um but welcome back jeff happy halloween ish
1: i know it's i've i've been gone so long and i have so much to fill everybody in on i'm
0: excited you made it back before thanksgiving so that's all we can ask for how about you in your area of texas do you guys celebrate trick-or-treat on halloween or do they kind of move it to the nearest weekend
1: so, no, it's it's going to be celebrated on the 31st, which is for us right here now on the tomorrow. Um, and, you know, I, I got to be honest, even as a kid, I don't ever remember Halloween on a Saturday. It seemed like it was always a school day and you didn't want to be there and you couldn't wait to get home.
0: Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm misthinking it. I do remember a lot of it after school, but for some reason, I it, it, it was during the week. Week, but I remember a lot of times it didn't seem like it actually fell on Halloween. I don't know. I'm uh, sure yeah. my memory what it once was. Maybe I'm getting confused with Cabbage Night. <laughs> Did you guys have Cabbage Night out there? <laughs> Devil's Night, Hell's Night? That was the night, the unofficial, unsponsored, but kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge when all the high school kids would go out toilet paper and, and, and vandalizing the neighborhood all. You know, until the eggs come out and destroy people's clear coat on their cars. But before the eggs come out, it's just all good fun. But you know, yeah,
1: that, I think we called it Mischief Night, Mischief maybe?
0: Night. In yeah. Kentucky, I guess they called it Cabbage Night because maybe back in the day it had to do with like you know, lobbing people's vegetables and different farm products out of their farms. I don't know why they called it Cabbage Night, but growing up in Northern Kentucky, it was called Cabbage Night. So, I, it's, but I had moved to Ohio by the time I was old enough to participate in such activities.
1: Mm. Maybe that, that'll be our homework. We'll, we'll look up the, uh, the history of Cabbage Night, see where that takes us. I,
0: I, I bet the pandemic has killed teepeeing for teenagers due to living <laughs> through the experience and not having it, plus the fact that a pack of toilet paper costs your parents about $22 now. The idea of going out and just wasting it on somebody's house is probably days of yore.
1: Well, it wasn't so much a toilet paper Matt, neck of the woods you had to worry about it. it was the the ziploc bag of dog crap that would be caught on fire on your doorstep and so people would try to put the fire out real quick and then it's uh it's everywhere,
0: yeah, but it's a four alarm <laughs> fire. put it in the brown paper bag he called the shit poop yeah, Billy Madison good times uh yep, you guys toilet papered people's houses that's baby toys. <laughs> back in my day look at that mug ladies and gentlemen it matches my hat it matches my hat we haven't talked about the hat in a while you can get yourself a wtsp world war ii hat on our website along with jeff's beloved indestructible coffee mug (laughs) it's solid enough that if you can't get to your firearm firearm during a home invasion you can probably fend off at least one perpetrator with it and then jab the other one in the (laughs) eye with the handle (laughs)
1: I'm telling you, man. I mean, I carry this everywhere. It's been through the dishwasher. Probably not as many times as it should. Just a quick rinse and it's up on the counter, you know. But it looks great.
0: I inadvertently discovered the perfect solution to getting coffee stains out of coffee mugs. All right. So it's a little weird, but if anybody who does any sort of endurance exercises, whether it's riding bikes long distances, running marathons, what have you. As you get older, you look for ways to help preserve your, your um, joints and your ligaments. And you can go to GNC and spend a metric ton on joint powders, but little known fact, and I learned this from Vinnie Tortridge, if you get Knox baking gelatin, it has no sugar, no additives, it's just 100% gel- uh, gelatin, which is, as everybody knows, made up of hooves and connective materials so that when you put it in your hot coffee, it doesn't turn into jello if you drink it quick enough. And then when you're consuming it, you're getting all that connective tissue and all the, I forget the technical term for it. Um, oh, crap. Anyhow, it'll come to me. It's, it's supposed to help with your skin. It helps maintain your joints, your ligaments and all that because of all the connective tissues it's made up of. Are
1: you talking about collagen?
0: Collagen, exactly. So, Knox gelatin, yeah. which is a bacon gelatin that has no sugar, no flavor, no coloring, is 100% collagen. And so, putting that in your coffee, it may- changes no flavor. But as one might assume, you got to drink your coffee while it's still hot. However, I discovered after I came to work the next day and I went and dumped the jello slick out of the bottom of my coffee mug, my mug had never been cleaner. It takes the coffee stains out with it. So just letting that jocks and in huh. congeal into the jello, and then just plopping it out and wash my coffee mugs like brand new. So I get the added bonuses Very of trying to repair my knees, keeping my skin looking so young, and clean coffee mugs all in one shot. <laughs> <Clean coffee. laughs> so there you and go. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> and it's a hell of a lot cheaper than the stuff you get GNC. So all what's right. going on in the wonderful state of Texas, fella?
1: Well, uh, apparently winter was on a Monday here in the Hill Country, mm-hmm. uh, and that Monday was today. Mm-hmm. Um we've we've uh we've all been complaining when is it going to stop? When is the weather going to break? When is it going to feel like it's football weather? The pumpkins going to stop melting? Um mm-hmm. and then it happened today and we got what we've been wanting. Um I think last night the wind chill was 28. Ooh. Um low 30s highs in the 40s got three inches of rain this week which is what we kind of really needed Uh, but we'll be back in the 70s by the weekend it's the hill country if you don't like the weather stick around it'll change kind of thing you know
0: yeah i live in florida we had our winter last week when it got down to 69 every night and i could turn my ac off and (laughs) open my windows and air out my house and and the water (laughs) temperature got down to a cool 77 degrees Believe it or not, bass do not like to bite when the water's 92 and a foot and a half deep. So we've been getting some rain. The water temperature's down to 77, and it's about five feet deep, but still still striking out in that case. So happy winter to you. Now you actually get to put on your boots and break out an M41 jacket, and now your flannel-lined pe- peaky hat doesn't make you sweat your ass off when you're wearing it in the hot summer. Is that one lined? Does that one have the uh, quilt lining in it?
1: No, no lining in this one.
0: Both mine have the quilt lining and whew, it's a little warm. Yeah. yeah. But hey, that's the way it is. So give us the rundown, fella.
1: Yeah, man. So um I guess I'm gonna start with uh getting to finally meet Scott Gibson. I oh, mean yes. what a highlight. What a way to start off our October. Uh yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I got invited uh, by him to the uh Wish for Our Heroes uh, gala here in San Antonio. Wish for our heroes is a uh an organization started by veterans that helps other charities, helps other veterans. Um they go to Normandy every year and Scott is kind of one of their celebrities that you know kind of helps bring the traffic in and spread the word. And, yeah. So <laughs> so um we uh, we finally got to go down to this gala, and he was definitely not the only celebrity there, which was really cool. Uh, if you remember, got to take a quick picture uh, with Scott and and the one and only Kyle Chandler. Um, didn't expect to see the Chandler family there, so that was a really cool surprise. And then Dave Batista, if you're familiar with him, we watched him uh, come drive right through the venue on a custom painted uh, Harley Davidson Cafe Racer uh, that they were. Functioning uh,
0: off that's a weird that's a weird combination harley davisons <laughs> and choppers harley davidson's raked out stretched out harley davidson bobbers all all perfectly fine things we've seen all through the 2000s on any episodes of any show on the discovery channel they had some sort of harley davidson but a harley davidson cafe racer that's an interesting because that's usually saved for a triumph or an old bsa or an old indian but to see a <laughs> harley chopped down into a a cafe racer that'd be pretty yeah. cool
1: yeah, and it was like I said, custom painted the uh the distillery, the local distillery there that's one of the big sponsors, Devil's River. It had the Devil's River painted all on the, you know, the gas tank and I think on the rear fender. And, you know, it was it was really slick, uh, really slick motorcycle. And of course, what an entrance by him. Um and then uh for the basketball fans that are listening, um George Hill. Was there? It was a long-time San Antonio spur that's been a, also a long-time partner with Wish for Our Heroes. It was really awesome to see his generosity, you know, firsthand. I I want to say he blew about a hundred thousand dollars that night uh, between the donations for the tables for his families and the auction items, and he ended up with the Harley and awesome. drove off. Um, you know, so it was just really, really special. And and I, I think probably the, the for us for for my wife and I the coolest part of the night. Seeing Scott up there, you know, on stage before we really got to talk with him, we kind of met him as we came in and then we were getting dinner and then everybody goes everywhere. You know, he just got tired of being on stage, I guess, and just started walking off and came down and (laughs) sat at our table and was like, what's up, man? Let's talk and hang out and glad you could be here. And it was really, really special. So got linked up with him and he wanted to introduce me to um, one of the World War II vets that was there that's been in Normandy every year and um so i kind of went off with him and and i was over there for 15 20 minutes that's when kyle chandler came over and and all these other folks and and then i realized i left my wife at this table with like 10 other strangers like oops so so i go back over there to the table i was babe get your purse let's go hang out over here well there was another couple uh there was a few couples at the table but there was one couple that kind of caught my attention and and the lady said, hey, is there any way, it looks like you know Scott, like, is there any way you could introduce us? And I said, sure, absolutely. And another girl at the table was uh, an artist, and two of her paintings were some of the auction items that oh, were up on cool. the stage. Beautiful. Hell, yeah. Um, it, really an interesting way that she did it, she did the flag raising at Iwo Jima, nice. and one of the famous photographs of the guys coming out, hitting Omaha Beach, right? hmm But she did them as they were black and white just a splash of color on the American flag on the EWO photo, just a splash of color on Omaha beach. But they looked like black and white photographs. Yeah. It was awesome. The way she did the gray tones. Really, really cool. So also she was a huge Scott Gibson fan. So she said, I'd love to meet him. I said, right now. Um, but couple, uh, actually led to event this weekend. The first couple we got to with a whole lot. And, they got to meet Scott and take their pictures. And it finds, uh, come to find out, the guy was an F 15 Eagle pilot. Nice. Re- I, yeah, never met a, an F 15 pilot before. And and of course, Tammy gets all nuts. She goes, Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. You know, and she's like, What was it like? And he he just kind of very humbly said, Well, it was not boring. Yeah. <laughs> right? So hit it off with them. Had an had an amazing night, Um, you know. I guess just just being there and being on a on a guest only type event, um, and to see it growing, to be a part of it. No, I'm going to be every year. We're going to bring guest next year. You know, to keep keep the word out, help this organization because it's just it's unbelievable, the amount of veterans that they've helped over the years. So, um, so then yeah, then fast forward to to this past weekend. Uh, our fall program at the Highland Lakes Air Museum. I think the listeners have kind of figured out I, I'm not I'm no longer running the museum, but I'm still involved, um, still helping with programs. And this is our third year doing a program that we call Pumpkins and Paratroopers. So we have our local grocery store donate 100 pumpkins. And we have uh, the All-American or All-Airborne Battalion, I'm sorry, All-Airborne Battalion jump team came out four uh, four paratroopers. Uh, we had our C-47 rolled out as the hangar, 40 music playing.
0: And they passed over. Uh, and they dropped pumpkins, much like the episode <laughs> WKRP in Cincinnati with the th- helicopter and the turkeys. <laughs> All over the parking lot, windshields are breaking. Kids are ducking, diving, rolling, hiding under jeeps, hiding under tanks. It's a catastrophe, <laughs> but they love it. You've never seen life until you've seen a pumpkin drop from 14,000 feet, smack dab, and they hit the target every time. It's amazing
1: i i wish <laughs> <laughs> so no of course the pumpkins were there for the kids to paint we had paints and paintbrushes air there for them and they got to hang out tables right in front of the aircraft the snj the l-17 navion of course and the c-47 above delorean uh, of course that's always a big hit for folks when they came in and uh just a great day just an uh, just a free event for people and I don't know the numbers are hitting anywhere between 800 we may have actually hit 1000 folks come through that day and that's a big deal yeah. for for our small little town and, um just to have people come hang out and so I set up my you know my uh, air corps display brought the jeep in and and of course I invited our our new friends the F15 pilot and he was a huge hit anti-G suit some pictures of him from you know his flying days and then the coolest thing was he brought in his helmet you know, with his call sign on it and everything and, and the oxygen mask and all these kids just sat down on a chair with a little seat parachute, put this helmet on, took a picture. And then he slams down the big black (laughs) visor in front and, you know, oxygen mask there, just really cool picture for everybody. Every kid walked away feeling like they were just, you know, a top gun picture. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun, Aaron. Um, I would have personally I know rather done a,
0: an Iron Eagle shoot, but that's just me. <laughs> I
1: So I, we, we talked about that. I said, man, I said, look, I know from your perspective, but as a kid, man, Iron Eagle was a great film. He started laughing. He goes, dude, you know what? He's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, super hokey. Good film, he said, but he said it bothers me. And I never thought about this. And, Don, maybe you can maybe you can help think of something. That yeah,
0: he can't get a tape deck to strap to his leg to put on some Twisted Sister <laughs> to get to his destination 15 minutes quicker. Because, as we know, afterburners work better when you have Twisted Sister running in the background. It's just science, Jeff.
1: Right. Pure right.
0: science. Jet propulsion well, science.
1: He brought up he brought up a big point. He said the Army, the Navy. He's like, they got great movies. He's like, the Air Force, what do we have? <laughs> and I said, "Well, Iron Eagle." And he goes, "Exactly." <laughs> so I was thinking, Where I does mean, Wolf, look post-19.
0: Is Airwolf Air Force or is that special ops? It's a helicopter, but I can't remember if he was an army special ops or if he was an air force.
1: Ah, good good point.
0: And I mean, then, but still, then that's Then that converts into thing. the TV show. <laughs>
1: The Green Berets and the A Team, like, no. And those guys expended a million rounds every episode, never hit nothing.
0: Let me propose this. <laughs> if we went back and watched Iron Eagle and then compared it to like any Chuck Norris Vietnam prisoner of war movie, I bet you those Chuck Norris movies don't hold up as well as they did when we were ten.
1: Not at all. No, not at all. I mean, like I said, it was a great it was a great film, but has there been a lot of great Air Force? You know, we're not talking Army Air Corps, right? Yeah. We're not talking Memphis Bell and, 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 you know, Tuskegee Airmen, bit, but I'm, I'm since thinking. 1947, what has there been? And, and I told him, I said, honestly, I think the Air Force has missed it. If they would make a Top Gun type movie, but with A 10 pilots, you know, history of the Warthogs, I think that would really be something. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't
0: know. Well, this is interesting. Google considers the right stuff an Air Force movie, huh? I guess because well, NASA was really not quite there yet, and they were all Air Force pilots. But most of them were World War II vets that were right. Army Air Corps and then transitioned. Right, um, right. <laughs> but number one on their list, but you can't guess. Iron Eagle. <laughs> 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 so in, in, in order of thumbnails, just I just typed in 1980s Air Force movies, just because, and we can include 90s. But Iron Eagles first, the right stuff, Top Gun. So that's going to be your winner, really. An officer and gentleman. I really wouldn't. That's more of a Navy movie, isn't it?
1: Well, so is Top Gun.
0: Not true of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, true of that. Delta Force. Once again, I don't <laughs> airplane, but that's commercial flight. Um, Firefox. Who was in that?
1: Oh, that was Clint Eastwood.
0: Yeah, Clint Eastwood. Let's see here. Mitchell <sighs> Mitchell Gant. Clint Eastwood is a veteran American pilot who becomes involved in a top secret mission to steal high tech Russian fighter plane known as the Firefox. Yeah. Covertly entering Soviet Union back in the day when Russia was our enemy in every movie. Uh, Gant <laughs> receives help from descendants with. Within the country, uh, most notably a group of scientists who have been working on the plane, yada, yada, yada. Um, I wonder what that got mm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Okay, that's a fun game. What do you think Firefox, not the web browser, but the movie, uh, got on Rotten Tomatoes?
1: Ah, uh, That couldn't be much more than like six, six, eight. <laughs>
0: Like six point eight or sixty eight (laughs) percent.
1: Oh, I was sixty (laughs)
0: eight. You're high, way high. It's almost (laughs) dead even. The top critics gave it a forty one percent at Rotten, and the audience gave it a forty two percent. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Not not big fans of the Firefox. Now, if that's their leading, um, let's see here, Firefox.
1: I mean, all told, he's got a point.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because I'm struggling. I'm sure somebody's going to be listening to this tomorrow. Like, hey, stupid, you forgot. Yeah, I'm sure. I I, I don't know.
1: Let us know. (laughs) And, of course, this is no slight to the Air Force. It's just, yeah, y'all need some better movies.
0: Air Force, maybe they have Captain Marvel. That does not uh, No. Oh, man. Uh, Iron Eagle. (laughs) Unbroken, but that's World (laughs) War II. Right. Uh Hotshots and Hotshots put do, but that's that's Navy once again. Here we go. The best Air Force movies ranked. Let's see, but we have Good Kill. New Zealander Andrew. Okay, know. so we gotta do a New Zealand Air Force. New Zealander Andrew Nikolai, man <laughs> behind Twenty 20- Oh no, that's the director. Let's see. Twenty 20- uh the Directorial Guard's 2014 Good Kill, a film that put Ethan Hawk, uh-oh, you're out, you hate Ethan Hawk, at the center of the action of Major Thomas right. Egan, U.S. drone pilot. Okay, does that count, though? We're, now we're flying drones.
1: Like I'm saying, we got to dig deep. Man, so number so. seven,
0: uh, number six, Unbroken, but that's Army Air Corps. Number five, Tora, 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 that's Japanese. The Right Stuff, we've right. already discussed, that's more Navy, Top Gun. Dunkirk, World War II. And Top Gun Maverick. So I think Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick are going to lead the category of all time best Air Force based movies.
1: Even is. though they don't do with the Air Force.
0: Yeah, because they're Navy. <laughs> but they're, <laughs> they're in planes. Yeah. That's that's sad. Isn't it? We got to do something it is. about that. It, I mean, it Not really that we have is, the budget so. to do anything about that, but we got to do that. I guess. 10 grade. It is It is what it is. Okay, but. screen rant. We're just one more fun time. Okay, Memphis Bell. That's World War Two. Pearl Harbor, World War II, once again, more Navy. Flyboys? That's so, uh, That's French Air Service during World War One. That doesn't count. Memphis Bell, World War II. Right. Brat 21. 1988 movie Brat 21 was released and told the story of the USF AF Lieutenant Colonel um, ICLE Jean Hamilton, um, call sign Bat 21 Bravo when he became the sole survivor of a plane crash during Vietnam era. So that might count, Brat 21, but. Once again, I think he spends more time on the ground, Gene Hackman. We got the Tuskegee Airmen, number six. That's World War II. A Good right. Kill, we said. That's a drone movie. The Right Stuff, that's a NASA movie. Toro, 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 that's a Japanese movie. Air Force, what is this? Oh, that's World War II. Got a War thumb, War II. thumbprint of a guy with a Thompson. 12 o'clock high, yeah, World seen. War II, yeah. So Air Scott Force, Gibson. actually,
1: that is a that is a wartime film, and it. I'll be honest for the wartime productions it was actually really good it was the crew. It, it centers around a crew uh the from one of the B17s heading to pearl harbor when pearl harbor gets attacked so these guys are kind of you know they they had to find an emergency plate because i mean they're flying like on fumes at this point trying to land at pearl everything's getting shot up they don't know what the heck's going on so they had to find an emergency landing field somewhere and then they had to fuel up cuz you know they were actually heading towards uh midway i believe to to bolster the garrison at midway they weren't going to pearl to stay they were going to pearl to refuel and then that was just a part of the hop on the trip so it shows these guys i mean then they had to like ditch somewhere in a jungle some island they had to hide out uh i don't know if it was at wake maybe i'm trying to think but for wartime production and to see an early b-17 the c model Mm -hmm. it was real i thought it was pretty good
0: I'm going to claim, we're going to blame this on the Cher effect. Okay. Cher shot her video, if I could turn back time, on USS Missouri. And the video was so horrible that the Navy vowed that they will never allow any other music production to be shot on on any of their vessels ever again. So maybe, because of the cost involved in renting airplanes before CGI... Iron Eagle came out, the Air Force gave them the green light, provided some equipment for some B shots. In their eyes, the movie was so god awful that they vowed they would never allow another Hollywood production to use any of their equipment to film, and they've stood by it. But now we have computer imaging, you wouldn't even have to rent the stuff anymore. So if somebody needs to get yeah. on it and do like, I'm sure there's some awesome stories that came out of the Gulf War or any Iraqi Freedom, any of those errors. Yeah. There's I was thinking be plenty that, I mean. Of stories.
1: I loved the F 117 as a kid, man, the stealth fighter. And they were just, I mean, they were pummeling Baghdad in, in January of, of 91. So, I mean, I don't know if there's enough there. Um, or, but just the development of an Air Force plane, you know, I mean, if I don't know if they could ever declassify everything about the SR 71, uh, I'm sure there's some interesting stuff there.
0: You know, the comedian Alonzo Bowden, this like the seven yeah. foot two black comedian, he was on, um, I think, last comic standing in the early 2000s. The reason I bring him up, he this episode's almost form-fitted for him. He's a huge cafe racer guy, which is funny to see someone almost seven foot tall on a cafe racer. But he actually worked... Was it Lockheed that made the SR-71 Blackbird?
1: I believe so, yeah. It was
0: either the SR-71 Blackbird or the Stealth. He actually worked in Skunk's Works, and he designed... He was part of the team who designed the... Uh, ejection seat for one of those two planes before he quit and became a comedian. He actually worked in aeronautics and designed the ejection seat on one of those two planes. I can't remember which one. And then he got, you know, much like a lot of comedians, one day kind of gave it a shot, blew up, quit working for the Lockheed or whoever that was, and has uh, been a comedian ever since. But, yeah, that's kind of his little... Huh. Wicked smart inside baseball guy. He's like, yeah, I developed the ejection seat for that system. But is he the SR? I don't think it's the SR seventy one Blackbird because that was too long ago. I think it was the Stealth Bomber. Had to been the Stealth because the Stealth was like what in seventies and eighties. The SR seventy came out in what the fifties or sixties? Sixties maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So it had to like been the that. Stealth because he he was too young for yeah. the SR seventy one.
1: So yeah, we've I know we've got at least a few extra listeners that are going to be hopping on. Hopefully this episode. Um, So I finished up my uh, my Greece and Rome course, which completely ate my lunch for eight weeks. That was that was a healthy course. We talked about that. Um, So last week there was no break. You know, go right into the next course. Just trying to get this bachelor's degree. Oh, the course I'm in now, World War II. Uh
0: Oh, you better get a two. That is. No, no,
1: but no <laughs> let you, don't let that – because, I mean, when you have to look at our favorite subject mm-hmm. from an academic standpoint. Through the eyes
0: of somebody who wrote about it who probably is not as into it as us. They're probably an English major writing the books and the exams versus the actual historians writing the articles.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, when trying to – that historiographical approach at things – that's not what we do, right? We have a passion, we have a, an emotional connection. You know, it's, it's a part of our lives. But when you have to break it down and analyze it, um, and and be able to actually support your, because I'm like, here's this is what my troubles going to be. I'm going to be typing in, you know, I'll be I'll be writing a paper or or answering a discussion and go, crap. Like, where do I know this from? Right? Like, mm-hmm. I know this. But using, finding the references, the sources, yeah. that's where I'm going to struggle because they don't care what you know. They don't care what books you've read, right? That's not what the course is about. Um, so it's interesting. And, of course, the f- beginning of every course, you introduce yourself for the, the first discussion. Naturally, I build into the my little mini resume, co-host of What's Scuttlebutt? That always kind of gets people perked up. Um, and so two of my fellow students, uh, for this course are really excited to tune into what's the scuttlebutt because we're all in a world war two course, right? They have some, Absolutely. they have some, uh, you know, passion for it or interest to it. So if they're listening, hopefully I think it's Allie and Sarah. Yeah. But see now uh, you set uh, yourself up for it. failure
0: because now anytime somebody needs a little extra classroom help or can't remember a fact, it's going Jeff. And so now you're going to be studying for your stuff and helping everybody else. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's what we do, man. It's what I, we do. I but guess. let me tell you, I, and I, I want to quiz you here a little bit okay. because we're only at the first. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, no, but you know, we're only in into the first. Uh, well, I'm starting module two now, but the first module was essentially the road to war, right? Okay. The appeasement strategies, a lot of stuff on World War One, which we love to talk about here, and the things that led to World War Two. But man, I had no idea. Um, you know, the Poles get a really bad name. From the Second World War, right? Because you know Germany ran over them in like twelve minutes, <laughs> and so yeah. But uh, to put things, who in the perspective, folded quicker,
0: the French or the Polish? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the poor French—they always so, get that hung on them. That's not—that's not true. They put up a fight.
1: They did, they did, and the, and the Poles did it as well. And and maybe there's listeners going, "Well, hang on, Poles were some of the best pilots, right? Mm-hmm. There were Poles that fought in the Battle of Britain." The Highest American aces, uh, Francis Gabby Gabreski was a Pole. Flew Eagle Squadron. He was actually at Pearl Harbor. Flew in the Eagle Squadron. And then they're I mean, forced all these to days, fight for
0: Germany. So I mean, they didn't have uh, right much. They didn't have much I choice. I did not
1: know. I did not know that the Poles, um, the biggest legacy that they left for the Allies, was their research on Enigma. For for our for Ultra, I. I never heard that.
0: Were they the forerunners of that? And then when Germany took all their own intellectual properties, they kind of stole it?
1: No. Well, no. Uh, let me, I'll read you a quick uh, paragraph. Because I didn't know that Basically, either. Poles are getting destroyed, right? They had 313 combat aircraft. The Luftwaffe sent over 2,085. Now, at this time, they the, the Germans didn't really have like full Panzer visions like what we think of. So, Krieg was actually still kind of this hodgepodge of the um, what do you call it? the Oberkommando, whatever the high command, you know, just trying to pull everybody. Nobody in Hitler's high command actually had the forethought to go, What well, if this the allies into the war? They just kind of thought, You know, we'll just run over Poland, we'll take them out, and it's going to be so quickly and so fierce that nobody else is going to want to get involved, which I thought was really interesting there. But the Poles enjoyed one priceless advantage. espionage and brilliant mathematical work. They had gained significant insight into the workings of the German Enigma in ciphering machine. In the summer of 1939, they passed that knowledge along to their new allies, the British and the French. On the basis of this intelligence, the British began to build their code-breaking effort, codenamed ULTRA, which would play a crucial role in winning World War II. I thought that was really fascinating.
0: Yeah, no, I had no idea. And that, I mean, that's tremendous. And for those of you who don't know what the Enigma program is, just go out and watch the stellar movie U571 and you'll learn all about it. But no, that was the fancy typewriter that they used to decode German messages. They figured out their, their, by today's obviously today's standards are rudimentary, but by then high-tech re- encryption code encryption standards, yeah. and that no, I mean, and as you were saying, if if they wouldn't have started that research, I mean that that qu- quite easily could have put us two or three years ahead of where we would have sure. been if they didn't already have that groundbreaking technology, and if Absolutely. we weren't lucky enough to get a hold of the person who got that information to us.
1: Right. I mean, so we enter the war late 41. We're getting, you know, this information's already been passed along to the British and French two years before. We break the Japanese code in June of 42. I mean, that all happened really quick for us. So you're right. I mean, what would that have done? Yeah, how much would that have stalled the war? It just kind of blows my mind. And another thing I didn't realize was that, up until September of thirty nine, the French, especially the Allies, were still trying to like appease Hitler. Yeah, and like, oh, please don't do this. And then the Poles were like, "Hey, we're gonna get signaled. There's some stuff coming down the line." I think it was the the French Prime Minister was like, "Hey," or French whatever. Uh, he was like, "Hey, hey, don't don't start militarize your zones because we don't want to offend Hitler. We don't want to make him mad. So let's yeah. not deploy your military." And it was too late. Poles didn't actually deploy their military till like the twenty ninth of August, first of September. They're getting run over because we were like, "Oh, don't, don't, don't
0: offend, Mister Hitler." Yeah,
1: blew my mind.
0: And we all know how the war technically officially started, which was a bunch of German soldiers dressing up in Polish uniforms, going across the border and staging an assault against their own people, and very familiar to what we heard. A year or two ago, with the Russian, the Ukrainians. hey, we're protecting ourselves, and we're going to go take our land back, and that old gag. And Man, there we were.
1: There's so much about what's going on right now that's raising some eyebrows. We won't get into
0: it heavily, you. just because people come here to get away from all that. But here's a fun, <laughs> yeah. here's a fun thought experiment. Research, no, just do a quick Google search on the theory of history repeating, history running in eighty-year cycles. There's a whole, even before what's happening now, there's been this hypothesis that most world history events tend to repeat themselves every 80-ish years. And if you're looking around what's going on with some of the spray paints going up on buildings and people in search of other people, very reminiscent to 1939. It's getting real scary.
1: It bring up a great point there, and, and when we get into the what you're reading, uh, I'll go into a little bit more. But what I'm reading right now is exactly that the comparison to uh, Civil War 1864 to the boys liberating France exactly 80 years later in 1944.
0: Unbelievable, yeah. Some historians notice it's not it's 80 ish, so you know, maybe 83, 81, but roughly about every 80 years, it's almost very similar. It's almost like the human condition has a attention span of about seventy nine years, and then we just forget what we learned and then start all over again. Yeah. Like an old grouper. Like, oh, oh I was here. <laughs> this is new. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick, while we have the new listeners and all that, we want to remind you uh November is coming up and we're gonna be doing our first of two giveaways. We're gonna be giving away a wonderful print that was donated by the one and only Mr. Henry Sledge, and we thank him for that so much. And we want to remind you guys, if you want to get enrolled, all you have to do is be an active subscriber to our Patreon account. And you say, well, Don, you're not giving us a whole lot of detail. What we're giving away, uh, the first one we're giving away, it is from Valor Studios, and it has been in Henry's possession since the original prints came out. And uh, I believe the first one we're giving away is Off the Beach. And uh, Jeff and I both have our own copies of them. It's a beautifully done print almost like a lithograph of full color, just the Marines landing. And the description is it's 830 AM on September 15th, 1944, as the Marines of King company turn onto Peleliu vehicle, exhaust gun smoke and the burning vegetation choke the airs as Japanese artillery and mortars pound the pre sighted beaches, machine gun bullets rip across the sands of as Eugene sledge and his baptism of fire trails, a veteran RV burgeon set To capture Peleliu's airfield from the enemies of unknown strength, the men of K-35 and their brothers of the 1st Marine Division know they are in the fight for their lives. But for now, only one thought echoes through their minds. Get off the beach. And so... We're giving this print away, and we're going to do a follow-up one. Probably, I was thinking December, maybe we'll put a little time in it, get people time to sign up. Maybe we'll give it away first of the year in January. But all you have to do is head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on the link on the home. Actually, you'll see a thumbnail on the home page if you scroll down a few episodes. If not, just click on that big orange Patreon banner. It'll take you to Patreon. We have three uh, levels. You don't have to sign up for the highest one. Just sign up for any one of those three. And as long as you have a up-to-date subscription, when we do the drawing, we're just going to print out every single name, do the old school. Maybe um, we'll, I'll send him to Jeff. He can cut them out, put them in a helmet, have one of his kids pick it out. Because what I learned working in radio, if you delegate that to someone else, the listeners can't get mad at you when they don't win. It's like, you can't be mad at a three-year-old. He chose your name. So we'll do something like that. So we delegate the responsibility to some innocent third party, so that people aren't upset at us that they didn't win, that somebody else did. We'll, we'll come up with a way to choose the name. But yeah, all you have to do is head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com, click on a Patreon link, sign up and subscribe. And while you're at your computer and you have thoughts, questions, inquiries, suggestions, or a tale to tell, send us an email at WTSP, I'm sorry, info at WTSPWorldWar2.com. Nay, I'm confused because I'm processing. Mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. Jeff, did you get the mail call I sent you earlier today to read on the show? Probably not, because we don't do show prep.
1: I did. No, I got it, and I'm pretty certain that we read it last time I was on.
0: Okay, I wasn't sure, so I sent it anyhow. But anyhow, yeah, email us at call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And a shout-out to Gabe Riviera. He's watching live, as he always does, on YouTube. And that's another reminder— if you guys are listening to us in the podcast form in your car, that's awesome. But if you want to participate in real time, you can watch us every Monday, 9.30 Eastern Time on YouTube. And you can comment, ask questions, and we see it in real time. We'll answer it and make you part of the show. So head over. You can also get to that link from our website as well. Just go to uh, WTSPWorldWar2.com and um, it's you'll find our YouTube channel there, or simply just go to YouTube and type in WTSP or what's the scuttlebutt, and it'll come up in the search. Speaking of which. You if
1: you are watching us, you do get sometimes a treat. Sometimes Don or I will kind of do a a show and tell, and you get to see something that we've got. And uh, I'd like to show you something. Maybe, maybe, Don, maybe you'll guess it. Maybe you won't. But a good friend of mine uh, who's been serving overseas uh, for the army, he's been in Europe for, gosh, I guess the last 18 months now, has finally stayed side. Reenactor buddy of mine and uh, had him come by the house um, uh, Saturday after our program. And he's the one that's been sending me all these goody, um, you know, goodie bags in the mail of treats from every European country for the kids and all this uh, soil from every mm-hmm. battlefield you can think of. He, uh, he's brought me things from just about every famous battlefield from the First World War, the Second World War, a piece of the, the cooler at Louvre 3. I mean, it's been incredible. Uh, this time he comes with sand from uh, Thermopylae and Marathon, uh, from the burial grounds of where uh, the Spartans and Athenians were buried at wow. those two respective places. And then he hands me this. It's a small very white i know it's kind of glary but yeah, it is really flooding it out white yeah it's it's washed looking but i mean it is it is really that bright white
0: is that a piece of um, the berlin wall
1: it is no actually that's a really good guess but uh i'll give you a hint that it is very chalky you can see the residue on my hands something very white that's not a piece of coral from very, palau very Loo, is it no think Europe.
0: Okay. Only reason I I brought it up because I remember seeing the their uniforms all white Europe. Is, Europe. What is that? The walls of Something.
1: Dover? There you go. Damn, I'm good. Nice. There is a piece of chalk from the white cliffs
0: of Dover. Yeah, I said walls because I'm a how, lousy how American. Awesome. That is very cool. Is that? Yeah. Very, very cool. Real quick yeah. before we get into what you're reading, um I'm excited. This one. hard decisions had to be made. Um had two events to choose from this weekend and originally I was going to go up to Alabama for the eightieth anniversary of Tarawa. I really, really want to go. Henry's gonna come down and meet me, but things fell through. I got left stuff going on at home. I'm not gonna be able to make that trip, so I'm gonna opt for the local event that's an hour away instead of one that's a twelve hour drive away. Um and it's a it's a tough decision. Also, because the event this weekend, even though it's the 80th anniversary of Tarawa, the event this weekend is the last year that Art and Meg are in charge of and bringing to life the Von Kessinger Express Railroad event that we do every year. And you say, well, yeah, but it's the 80th anniversary of Tarawa. And I agree, but it's been handed down to me. <laughs> Paul and Jerry, to take over the event starting next year. And so it's like, I probably should be at the event that the previous <laughs> organizers for last 10 years. It's going to be their last year running it when they're handing it over to me, Paul and Jerry. And so I'm going to that. It's going to be a great event. I reached out to our friends over at um, WLVM Radio because we kind of mentioned it when he was on the show. Hey, has anybody ever thought about streaming your station at an event and then you could have little news updates about their timeline story. So I shot him an email, but he's been working like super wicked late. And so he got back to me this weekend. Hopefully I can make it happen. I want to try to get Paul. We're going to come up with little news breaks about because how it works is Saturday morning, people come, they meander around the, the train station. You got Germans walking around, you got Nazi flags they are handing out the papers. They put them on the train as it goes down. And then, you know, there's a skirmish, we take over the train, it comes back, there's a whole performance, like two or three hours long. But I thought it would be cool, because after in between, they kind of come, they talk to us, see our displays, and then they leave, and then the next group come in, and then after that one, they have more time to hang out later. So I thought it'd be really cool if we had a couple, because guys will take Bluetooth speakers, and they'll either put them in old radios and play like Pandora's World War II station, which works out well until an advertisement for Vermo comes on, or, you know... <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna say just because I've been I've been hearing this ad a lot on Pandora, and it, it it's kind of a uh, shows where we're at in a society. Oh, what's that crap you got to shoot people up with when they're overdosing on uh, opioids? Um. Oh damn it! It's a uh, epi the EpiPen. the um. Oh epinephrine. Yeah, but what's the one for? Uh, um, what's the other one? Crap. Anyhow, I keep forgetting. It. It's a commercial grade product that they now run advertisements on Pandora for when you're around, in their words, a opioid accident. Not an overdose, an opioid accident. And actually, it's an advertisement where you can buy this crap now because you know so many people. But could you it kind of bumps you when you you have people streaming stuff on Pandora, so why not do the WLVN? All the commercials are real time. And so me and Paul are going to get some Bluetooth speakers and maybe one or other two people if all of us are streaming that station as people are walking through our camp and then all of a sudden allies rescue a train full of hostages from the Germans and France, blah, 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 and start doing little news Hi. stories. And those panthers are like, what? That, that just happened to us. How cool would that be as an attendee to be walking around the camp with all these guys in, in their living history and all of a sudden you hear this vague news story about what you just went through 15 minutes ago on this train and so we're going to wow. hopefully get that recorded and he's going to build a playlist and so at the event this weekend we'll have pre you know little news reports after each ride and i think it'd be really cool and it kind of give us a first taste on how something like that would work and then maybe people can incorporate them in future events because i think that's it's super cool to have
1: absolutely that's a great idea and you know i was going to mention our buddy tony over at wlvn because i didn't realize i've been listening to it quite a bit and you know i just pull up my phone and bluetooth through an old timey radio like we all do right um but if you scroll down below where you just play you see the playlist if you go right below that and i've got a screenshot and i meant to send it but he's got
0: a big wtsp huge, yeah i i've got the return a favor on our page we have a we have him included in our toolbar across the top so next to history through photos it says wlvn radio but on his page he's got this huge gargantuan red banner at the bottom yeah. you couldn't miss it if you're colorblind and so it's like yeah we're going to have to you know return the favor with a little bit larger icon on our yeah. on our website but yeah no i, I mean, just,
1: that is awesome
0: if you guys are a fan of 40s music or if you're just learning about it if you listen to music at work and you find that you get distracted because you're too busy, you know, rapping along or sing along or whatever. Put on his station, you can turn it down low. Your boss will think you're a little weird. My boss said it sounds like the 1920s in here, but I don't mind. He listens to the yacht rot, so whatever. But you you will hear music that you never heard because when you listen to Pandora, you listen to the playlist on Spotify, it's just your even though they didn't have Top 40 back then, but your greatest hits of World War II songs, a lot of Andrew Sisters and all that, you listen to his and you'll hear songs that, you, A, you not never heard before, but stuff you really enjoy. Like Going a little tangent here, we have time. I'm a, I am ai was a big, huge Beastie Boys fan in the 90s up until Hello Nasty came out that I lost interest. But off of Paul's Boutique, they have a song that goes something like Rat Shat, Me Shat, and Rat and a Go. That's just something they repeat in the background. He was playing a song it was from – and that was in there. I'm like, after 25 years, I realized Beastie Boys took their sample from a song from like – and I emailed him and said, what played at this time? And he had to go back, and he actually sent me the song. And I could and I found it on YouTube. I was like, that's exactly where Beastie Boys got that sample from, a song from like nineteen thirty-nine. And I would have never heard it if I wasn't listening to his radio station. That's the kind of cool well, stuff he, you'll hear on there.
1: On top of the great music, and like you said, it's not so like I listen to I, I, I subscribed to Sirius XM, have for I don't know, probably fifteen years now at least. And so the forties junction's been great, right? Yeah. But, You can kind of tell it's not. I want to say it's the same stuff, but it's some of the bigger stuff, and they're gonna they're gonna really kind of focus more on the big bands, the Bing Crosby's, right? But on WLVM, um, you're gonna hear some of the early Western music. You know, some of that stuff that doesn't quite, like you said, Mm -hmm. doesn't quite make those top of the list charts. You know, so it's all genres 1940s, and not only that, man. I was listening last week called Yank Cardinals game from 1943. The whole ball game. You're yeah. listening to the whole ball or um, advertisements. I remember one that was like Philadelphia cream cheese. You know, it's not just a breakfast dish. It can be used on this and that or whatever. And for one ration stamp, you can get two three ounce cans of Philadelphia cream cheese. Uh, that's great.
0: And and to give them credit, well, him it's one guy, but his wife, you know, supports the cause too. Over WLVN1940sRadio.com he doesn't just create a generic playlist and the he schedules every day as if he's a program director. So tomorrow when you're listening, he actually has a day scheduled for October 31st, 19. He'll tie. I think they're in 1943 right now. And so as the year progresses and we hit Christmas next year, he'll be playing 1944 stuff all the way up until I, I'm assuming he's probably going to go to 45. I don't know if he'll go all the way up to the fifties, but at some point he's going to reset. And him and his buddy who kind of came up with this, they go to archives. Um, when we had him on, he was talking about how he would go to estate sales or whatever and find those old victory records. Where they have like, oh, here's a recording from the coca Cola of, you know, the Andrew sisters, and he'll play the intros and the whole thing. He pulls stuff from there. He has old commercials, old advertisements for joining the Civilian Conservation Corps, You'll hear all kinds of cool stuff. And the only modern stuff you'll hear on there is when he advertises how to help promote his, his radio station. Other yeah. than that, you don't hear any ads for YouTube or Pandora or Tide. Well, you might hear something from Tide from night, well, was Tide even around in the 40s, but the 40s equivalent of Tide. You know, we'll throw those up there. But it's very yeah. cool. And when you're putting together a living history event, especially like you're doing hometowns, like home front stuff, like a lot of like a lot of females do, they'll have the home front. Perfect. Put a little Bluetooth speaker in that hollowed-out Bakelite radio that you have that doesn't work. Plug your cell phone in, hop on the Wi-Fi, and just stream their station all day long. Beautiful.
1: It's it's an awesome thing. So speaking of living history events, um, yeah, and you know, don't feel bad. You're not going to Alabama for the 80th of Tara because if you recall, I was supposed to be on Tarawa for the 80th. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, like that would have been cool. Um, I mean, honestly, I'd be more bummed that you don't get to hang out with Henry, but.
0: Um, he had a lot a coming up too. And he literally called me and said, Hey, I'm going to book a hotel, but I got a lot going on, but I really wanted to meet you. And it's like, I don't want to put that on him to have to come get a hotel just to meet me if it's, you know, if he didn't have other things to do in that area as well. But, you know, so it's like, I I have this decision. This will help me make my decision. So I said, Don't book the room. I'm just going to do the local event. I was, I was really feeling like a dick. I'm like, God, if I don't go to this event. And I'm supposed to be taking it over next year. I'm gonna look a real yeah. dick, and so I made yeah. it, it. Got rid of my anxiety because I no longer had to make that choice, and I didn't have to worry about you know making him and his wife you know commit to having to drive five six hours just to meet my dumbass. I mean, we can meet some other time. Jeff's met me; it's not all that special. <laughs> so, so we'll we'll organize something another time. But yeah, I'm excited. To, I haven't really done anything all summer. And so I'm excited to sleep on the ground again. I'm excited just to get the uniform on and kind of figure out how, because Paul and I were talking the other day, we want to stay true to the format, but the storyline and all that really hasn't changed much in the last 10 years. And so we're thinking maybe next year we might adjust the storyline a little bit because obviously Living History, even the spectators are from the community. And chances are they've been once, they've been twice. And so when it's the same exact storyline every single year, it may, it may encourage people to come if we start just manipulating things, just changing it enough. And for the reenactors too who've been doing it for all these years, just making a little more, right, you right. know, changing it up. So it's going to be exciting this coming weekend and I can get out of the house and yeah. uh, get away from well, the cell phone you, and all that good stuff.
1: As you already know, you know, I was in uniform this past weekend, and but now I'm really excited. So... two weeks from now veterans day weekend is the big uh what used to be the wings over dallas air show Mm. we know what happened last year so they're scaled back a little bit this year we're going to get back to normal i think in 2024 but this year it is it's not necessarily called wings over dallas air show it is the aviation discovery fest very much living history based um they're still going to have about 20 world war ii aircraft there right and so the Fifi, the B twenty nine, is based there. So you'll see the twenty nine, you'll see the PBJ and a B twenty five. I think Diamond Lil, the only B twenty four, will be there. Corsair Mustangs. You know, there's there's some great aircraft that come in. Um, but some of my buddies up there in an Air Corps uh, reenactment group up there are like, man, you know, bring everybody, bring everything. Big, they want big displays, and and you're allowed to set up camp right there on the on the grassy area by the runway there'll be three quarter ton weapons carriers and there's always an easy eight and for sherman that comes out and more quarter tons than you can count you know jeeps and ambulances the whole nine yards so that's in less than two weeks so i'm really pumped to if i can really make a suggestion
0: when you get there to set up your tent look around and if you can manipulate your tent flap in the direction of a world war ii based plane because i've done it at Stewart air show there's nothing cooler than waking up at 6.30 when the sun's coming up and you open that flap and there's a air-correct airplane sitting in front of you instead of, like, you know, a F-16 or a Cessna, something like that. When you open that flap and you're in uniform and your sun's coming up and you're just staring at a air-correct plane, it's just awesome.
1: Well... Here's the thing, uh, the wife and kiddos are coming with me, so we got an Airbnb. We're going to be in a house.
0: <laughs> well, they <laughs> can. Out. You're going to sleep in the tent like a real man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish, I wish, but so no, it's going to be a lot of fun. I always take Logan and and some of his buddies and 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 one of his buddies is going to go uh, this year as well, but um it's just it's a fun event. I'm so excited that my wife and all my kiddos are going to be there this year because it's a ton of fun. It's it it is air show, it's education based, a lot of stuff for kids to do. Um. So really pumped about that. And also that Saturday night while I'm up in Dallas, uh, there's a beautiful town called Grapevine. It's the Christmas capital of Texas, but it's a beautiful historic town. The unit I served with, Fox Troop, Ninth Cav, we always have our nice. unit reunion on Veterans Day weekend. It's the only way I could probably get to go is because I'm already there for the air show. Um, so looking forward to seeing the guys, you know, that, that we, that I pounded sand with, uh, all those years ago. Now, my gosh, it's almost 20 years ago. They're going to
0: annihilate you over that mustache. And I just want your wife to take video, <laughs> <laughs> even though they love you. It's just, they're, that's going to give them something to bust your balls over. And I want her to take video.
1: If that's all it is, and that's all they got on me. I'm okay with that. <laughs> But, yeah, it's going to be a ton of fun. And, of course, you know, my oldest has already, um, you know, he already swore in. He's going in also to do the same job as me, 19 Delta Cav Scouts. So he's going to be in a room of crusty old combat Cav Scouts. And he's going to be the next generation, literally the the one we passed the baton to. So it's going to be special for him, too. Uh and then I'm gonna go back Is there to the extra, World War Team Museum in New Orleans. Not
0: to step on that, but I wanted to pause. Is there extra rousing one gets for being a legacy at boot camp?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Cop said, "You think I you're special,
0: so. do you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, he'll he'll get humbled. I'm sure, real quick. But uh, yeah, then Thanksgiving week, we're we're gonna head over. To the world war two museum in new orleans it's been a while i haven't seen some of the new exhibits there um really excited about that um but in dallas i will try to at least get if i can find a world war two vet um that we can interview or at least some of the reenactors there you've already downloaded the stuff that i need here um to get some good audio i'm gonna do my best to to set up and 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 capture some good stuff man because i mean there's gonna be reenactors everywhere
0: push comes to shove man just take someone in a quiet corner and get out the iPhone or the Android. I mean, the mics and the cameras on these things are great. I mean, take your laptop and equipment, but I mean, if it if it comes yeah. too cumbersome, just pull that phone out. Say, hey, let's step over here for a yeah. few minutes. Because I was about that for this weekend. I got the whole studio in a box. I'm like, where are I going to shoot it in 4K on my phone and be done with it? And so it's yeah. always yeah. an option, too, if you're trying to pack light, especially with all the kids and all that stuff. So. Yeah. So, It'll be good. Let's... uh break into what you're reading
1: so i've got two uh two books i wanted to talk about very quickly i read this one last weekend this is ernest hemingway's in our time Uh, i bring this up because it is a very quick uh, weekend read but um it's gonna center a lot on a world war one veteran you kind of see this kid grow up it's the the nick adams stories if you're familiar with hemingway and then he breaks up each chapter with a little bit more of an in-depth just a real quick glimpse on something else. Most of them are World War One related. Um, so came out in 1925. This really made Hemingway. This was kind of what brought him back into the American spotlight, coming back when he expatted uh, to, to Paris. Um, so that was quick. And then, man, this one. I had yet to read this with Stephen Ambrose's Citizen Soldiers. Got it. I've had was... this book. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I've had this on the shelf for years, and I am at the point now where I, like I said, I got Greece and Rome behind me. I'm in a World War II course. I got to be thinking about a thesis a and time. a paper. What a time! Um, you know, we're, we've been talking about Tarawa, right? And yep. and we're going to be talking about Pearl Harbor, and that's typically what I'm reading uh, in the for whatever reason. In in the winter time, I'm reading early war stuff, Tarawa stuff. But this is the time to be reading about Bow the Bulge, too. So I picked it up and I could not put it down. Yeah. I'm 100 pages in and I'm three days into the book, maybe not even. Um, Ambrose never disappoints. Um, What he's read, I mean, what he's written on D Day, of course, we know Band of Brothers. I even have his uh, Custer and Crazy Horse. But what I love about this one is for those who haven't read it, this book starts June 7th. You can read it if I want in other books. It's not what this is about. It's the tactics or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Fighting in the hedgerows, starting out the battle for Normandy, um, trying to open up Operation Cobra, getting Patton involved. You know, August of 44 now. That's where I'm at. And it takes you all the way to May 7th of 45. But it's the soldier story. has very well ever read you know he pulls a lot of stuff he literally says I, I make my living by reading other people's mail so you know he pulls a lot of quotes not just from american troops but also from the germans so you really see both sides of what it was like the bayonet charges i didn't know it was a bayonet charge yeah. uh led by i think a young lieutenant um because they didn't know what the heck to do there was no tactics for the hedgerow country and trying to take over these German machine gun nests. And so it was just sergeants and lieutenants going, uh, watch this. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, talking about the guys making the rhino tanks and all yeah. the, the things that they welded on the Shermans to bust through these hedgerows. So it's interesting. Yes, we probably know, or, or you probably know, there was a stalemate at first, right? We're trying to land all these troops. They've got nowhere to go. They're pinned down. They can't bust out, right? but he tells you why this is why they can't bust out because we didn't have a plan for this. Yeah. We didn't have, we didn't train for this. We were supposed to be on the way to Paris by now. Like what's going on? Uh, it took us seven weeks to take what they thought they were going to get on D plus one or D plus two money's pinned down. The British and the Canadians are having a fight of their lives. Um, and you also see also from the German perspective, Rommel's trying to tell Hitler, like, dude, like, let's just call it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, the supply chain is unbelievable. P-47, the Germans cannot do anything without a P-47 finding them. Yeah. And the hilariousness of the Piper Cubs observation airplanes just circling at 300 feet, like, waiting for a puff of smoke from an 88 and go, there he is, 45 seconds later, it's <laughs> gone. P-47s have come in and destroyed everything. Uh, learning how to call for fire. It's just, it's a really... Really good book.
0: I think that was book number three in my entire library. And as you're holding up your book, I'm like scanning, I couldn't find it. Fun fact I have the paperback, the fonts in gold on the paperback, and apparently red on the hardback. So, but yes, and as the name implies, a citizen soldier. Obviously, band of brothers, he, Air Corps, special unit. This is about the citizen guys who just went through boot camp, put on the front lines. And as you said, We had tactics and training, but as you know, the best laid plans go to waste once boots hit the ground, and these guys had to come up with a lot of the solutions on their own and on the fly. And as you said, the perfect example of that is the tankers, the tank engineers. It wasn't engineers back in the United States in a room somewhere. It was some good old boys who knew how to weld and knew how to drive tractors. Got up on the beach, saw the problem. We just passed a bunch. What do they call this weasels? What do they call the the steel crosses on the beaches? I forget the name. They're weasels or something. Um, anyhow, the game names the anti tank obstructions. The the basically their steel X's or made out of. Uh, sometimes they're even made out of I um, channel. But they got a torch out, cut those down, welded them on the front, gave them sharp edges, and boom. On the fly, someone invented a way to get through hedgerows with a tank and you right. needed those prongs was, to separate like, that twisted vines that had been growing for 500 years.
1: Yeah, you bring up grapevines I mean, hundreds of years. I mean this that this uh, country existed in, in that style and it's a kind of it, it it kind of makes you wonder like how did we overlook and maybe because I don't know did it not show up on aerial reconnaissance but these hedgerows were uh you know there the the depressions and the roads were a lot more sunk in. There was probably roads they didn't even know existed because of the the canopy overhead uh probably just didn't realize the undulations were a lot more than they realized if if a Sherman can't bust through it, we got problems
0: well, more than that uh, though this isn't deep German territory that hasn't been seen in. A hundred- this is land that belonged to our allies. We had some of those members of the German, I mean, the French government <laughs> and the French military escape. No one thought to say, Hey, by the way, in Normandy, we have these eight foot tall shrubs that are six foot wide, been grown for a thousand years that you're going to have to get something pokey to get through them. That never came up in conversation of Hey, we're about to invade your land and, and get your people free. No one thought to say, Hey, yeah, we got this thing that we've kind of used. That it's been around forever. <laughs> No, we'll have to figure it out once we show up.
1: Makes you think. But so um, and on a final note, kind of back to Poland, um, the uh, the interesting fact here, you know, and I may have talked about this on the show before. But uh, when George C. Marshall took over the uh, the army, uh, I believe we were ranked 19th in the world Mm -hmm. in 1941. We were still 17th and that's by size of our military. Turkey, Spain, Czechoslovakia, Poland had larger armies than we did in 1941.
0: That's because we had all the isolationists and the people who were tired of war after World War I. It said, hey, we, we, we're going to mind our own business. We don't need a big military. And they cut the spending, which is why the Marines right. went to the Pacific first. Because they and were quote-unquote battle ready. I mean,
1: Perfect name for this book, Citizen Soldiers. It took the Citizen Soldiers, like you said, rush through boot camp, get out there in the field, figure it out, make it work, fix it, modify it, and win through the ultimate victory. It's unbelievable.
0: So I finished Coral Runs High, and I'm getting ready to start a book that you suggested, and I have it on my bookshelf, Pacific Alamo. But right now, I actually, just before the show, I started reading. This was they donated to me by a fellow reenactor a few years back. This was published in, uh, let's see here, what's the copyright on this? War Department, Washington, August 19th, 1940. This is the Staff Officer's Field Manual. (laughs) Hmm. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun reading to uh, go through here and see the hierarchy. I mean, it breaks down everything. The hierarchy of command and everything. So uh, it's it'll be a quick read. Uh, I thought it'd be fun, especially considering I got a living history event coming up this weekend, and it's been sitting around in my my uh, cabinet over there. And I thought, well, why not give us yeah. a quick peruse? And it's interesting, just the language that they use back then is far more. It'd be interesting to get a modern day staff officer's field manual and just compare the vocabulary differences, the way they wrote back then. Yeah. And you and I've discussed that before. When you go back, we, we eat, we both of us have, you know, a time life or no life magazine collection from the time. And you just go back and read some of those adverts or the letters to the editor. The vocabulary back then is like an English teacher's dream compared to our dumbed-down nonsense that we put out nowadays. It's just the words and the style of words they use. If you wrote that nowadays, you'd be considered a scholar. But, yeah, it's interesting to see the, the dichotomy or the differences and just language when it comes to something as, you know, an explanation of a um, staff officer's field guide from the Army in 1940. Right. So I'm reading through that just ah, for fun absolutely. because I have it. And then I'm going to break into uh, Pacific Alamo. So I'm looking forward to that. Good.
1: Yeah, it's a good it's a good read.
0: And I think that is about going to wrap it up. Uh, we already hit all the plugs and all that good stuff. Please email us at mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And if you guys missed last week's episode, um, it's a very fun episode, very interesting episode. We went back to the 1933 We briefly discussed how the banking crisis and the Great Depression started, but we primarily focused, and when I say we, I'm talking about um, me and author Colin Heaton. We discussed um, the Bonus Army, the Bonus Army march across the United States, and then how after a small riot with the Washington, D.C. police, Hoover um, asked um, one uh, MacArthur to kind of break up the nonsense but allegedly, he claimed to stop at the bridge. MacArthur didn't. He sent Patton out with some tanks and some tear gas and some bayonets, and literally had a fight between the modern army and about twenty thousand-ish World War One vets. Burnt down the whole damn town, and sent them packing. And then how that led to what has been turned into or known as the business plan, where they tried where some high-end corporate Fellows who didn't like FDR thought that they could um, convince, which they were greatly wrong, uh, they completely miscalculated his stance for the government, despite the fact that he was doing some speeches about his distrust for how he was treated the Marine Corps. But uh, General uh, Butler, and their idea was to get Smedley Butler to head up the Bonus Army, these 20,000 World War One vets who just had their Hoovervilles burnt down by MacArthur and Patton and thought that they could basically overthrow FDR, get him in there. But he's like, nah, despite the fact that I'm not happy with some of the things I had to do in the Marine Corps, I love my country, and I'm not going to commit treason. And he went, great story, great podcast. Go back and listen to that. That's from last week. And if you want to see that story in a interesting historical fiction, kind of like, um, glorious bastards watch Amsterdam. That's where I actually learned about this. They take that story and they add some fictional characters, but the root of the story is there. It's a very good movie called Amsterdam. So check that out. Jeff, got anything else coming down the line you want to promote before we go?
1: Uh, no, no. Like I said, I'll, I'll have some great stuff coming up from, from history events and museums I'll be visiting. So yeah, looking forward to the next episode.
0: And for that, Myself, Jeff Copsetta, and Henry Sledge, we will talk to you all soon. This has been a Digital 410 production.